Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Come to these final verses in chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace. To all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in 1996, then First Lady Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And the title comes from an African proverb that says that there are to be many that are to be involved in the raising up of the next generation. That it takes a village And I think the proverb is accurate. Many are needed, but as you can imagine, it being a political book, it was used to bolster up the government as one of the main providers of that village. And as a result, many critics came out and said, no, it doesn't take a village, let alone a governmental village. It takes a family to raise a child. And indeed, a family is the foundation of well-being for children. First and foremost, the place where they are to be raised and to be loved and to be grown and nurtured. And yet, what we see or what we see going on is that with the breakdown of families in this country and indeed around the world, the government imposes itself more and more. As a result... Perhaps, maybe as a necessity, as society loses the ability to self-govern, the government has to implement more policies, more enforcement. And as a result, I think what we have seen is that government becomes more and more involved with daily life. While I doubt this day you are looking for more government involvement and more taxes. I doubt that is the case. But one of the ways that we prevent that is a strong family, for sure, a strong home life, but as well as a strong church, that we need the church. You personally need it. Your family needs it. That there is something fundamentally missing if we do not have it. And Peter, as he concludes this letter, lays out some of the fundamental aspects of the church. Things that are true, realities that are ours. And they are ours by being connected in and with the church of Jesus Christ. These are things that are probably not new to you, especially if you've been part of the church or even a part of this church for years. But I think there are things that can be easily 
overlooked and for sure underappreciated. And today we need to confirm those things. We need to look at those things and say, yes, indeed, those are good things. And not only are they good, I need them. And my family needs them. And Lord willing, we would be convinced once again that it takes a church. It takes a church being the church. A church that we want to be. A church indeed that we must be by God's grace and blessing. And so we will see those fundamental truths in four points this morning. Common conviction, a common cause, a common connection, and finally a common comfort. First, a common conviction. And I've chosen that word common purposefully. And what I mean by that is not to mean ordinary, but rather common in that which we share together because these things, these truths that we will talk about are really not common or ordinary at all. In fact, they are uncommon. They are, in fact, things that the world is looking for, yet seemingly cannot find elsewhere. These are things that are unique to the church, that only the real thing can be found here. I'm sure all of you, being native Atlantans or those that find themselves in this city, remember the old Coke slogan, the Coke campaign, the real thing. Trying to say that there are many different sodas, many different colas, but Coke is the real thing. And that's essentially what this is saying as well, that there are many imitations out there. Many ways that the world will try to say that they have these things, but the reality is that they're only found in the church because they're only really found in Christ. And these are the real things that we have and hold in common. And indeed, that which the church has been holding in common ever since the church has been formed. We read of Acts chapter 2 after Peter's preaching at Pentecost that there were many saved, over 3,000 people. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. And it says there at the end of Acts chapter 2, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That there was now this commonness, uh, unity that unites all of the believers. And here in 1 Peter, we see some of those things that we have and hold in common. The first is a common conviction or a common truth, a common foundation. Right now, many of you know that I'm teaching the, the new members class, which is always a delight to do so. And, and I'm trying to tell those that are in this class, this is who we are. And these are the, the truths that unite us. And if you are to be a part of this church, if you want to join this church as a member, this is what should attract you. Not necessarily the building. Not necessarily the people. Not necessarily the coffee. All of those things are things that we shouldn't neglect. We should take care of our building. You as the people should be friendly and caring and welcoming to our guests. We should have good coffee. Yes? But all of those things 
are secondary. Secondary to that which is most needed and that which is necessary. And it's the thing that must not change. Indeed, cannot change. The reason that you would come to this church is because of Christ. Because it's Christ that is here. And here I come to meet with Christ week after week. This is where I encounter the living Christ. Because Christ is the center. Christ is the common conviction. Christ is the truth upon which we build our lives. And indeed the foundation that the church is built upon. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now many are searching for the truth out there. And they try to make the truth subjective. The truth is whatever you want it to be. No, the truth is objective. It's something that is outside of us. Just as we look for trying to find our directions, we try to find the, the north star and we say, that's true north. Why is it true north? Because it is a marking outside of us. It is something that does not change no matter how turned around we can get or be. We can always look for that star and say, okay, yes, that truly is north. I can find my way from here. True cannot be true today and then not true tomorrow. That doesn't work. And so we need a truth outside of ourselves, and that truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that truth because he's always true. He does not change. He need not change. He is the eternal reality. He is the true truth. He is our true north, if you want to put it that way. And Christ is not silent with his Truth. He has revealed himself in his scriptures in the Bible. Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, the word is truth. And all of us have these Bibles. Hopefully you have your Bible with you today, either an open book or perhaps even on your phone. We have multiple copies of the Bible, and that is a privilege that many generations have not had. And in fact, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, if you don't have it in book form, there are some Bibles at the end of the pew. It would be our delight for you to take that home with you this day as a gift. But don't see it as a gift from this church. See it as a gift from God. Because indeed, that is how we should look at the Word of God. And to be able to hear it, preached and to hear it teached on a weekly basis is a beautiful reality that is ours. It's that which unites us. It is that common conviction. And as you read it throughout the week, I'm always amazed, perhaps you are as well, how applicable the word of God is to us today. Even though it was written Thousands of years ago, when rightly explained, when rightly applied, it is as new as this morning's newspaper. It's ever new. It's ever applicable. It continually pierces our heart and our mind. It brings about conviction. It brings about comfort constantly. 
Why? Because the Spirit of God uses this Word and makes it alive and makes it new. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All of Scripture is God-breathed. And oftentimes we read that verse and we go, Yeah, that's right, when it was written, it was inspired by God, which of course is true. But that verse is true every time we hear it, every time we read it. Every time the word of God is preached, every time it's taught, every time you have the opportunity to read it, it is God breathing his spirit out in us. That is how we should see the truth of God. It's constantly and continually true, even today. And the Holy Spirit, our Westminster Confession says, bears witness with our hearts that it is true. True. It bears witness to the truthfulness of it. And that is our experience, isn't it? We could go around this day and talk about our different testimonies, and each and every one of us would would have a different testimony of how we came to saving faith, but the part of it that would be true for all of us is that at some point, in some way, the Word of God became alive in us. That it took a dead heart and a dead mind, and it was renewed. And it was renewed by the Spirit of God in truth. And we went from death to life. We came face to face spiritually with the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate truth. And so notice as we come here to these verses what... Peter says to this church, to these churches that he has written to, he says, I have written to you briefly and exhorting and declaring that which is the truth or that which is true, that which is the true grace of God. Notice he says to you, I've written to you briefly. You might read first Peter and say, Peter, this doesn't seem brief. Took my church 10 months to go all the way through this letter. But what I think Peter is saying there is that it is brief compared to the depth of the subject matter. That there could be much more that could be said and should be said. That there are not enough words that language ceases to do justice to speak to these matters. And in that way, Peter says this is just but a brief letter, a brief exhortation, a brief testimony of all that could be said. And notice what he says that I exhorted, I declared, not just things that would be helpful to you, not just good stories and testimonies. I didn't just spend the time giving you some tidbits of advice, some nice platitudes, some nice sayings. No, he says, I exhorted, I declared to you the true grace of God because that's what you need. I declared to you the truth. I declared to you the grace, the grace of God. In other words, Peter's saying, I declared to you the Lord Jesus Christ because we are told in John that it's through Christ that comes grace and truth. And that's what Peter wanted to pass on to these churches. And that is what needs to be passed on even this day. That what was needed for those churches way back then is needed for this church 
even today. And so he goes on to say, stand firm in it. Stand firm in this truth. Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be moved from it. Because this is where we see the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and truth coming together. The Spirit of God and His truth being mixed together, being mingled together. And this, as we come as a church, is that common conviction. It's that which we stand united in. This is why we exist individually. This is why we exist as a church. Well, second, he goes on then. From a common conviction to a common cause. That we stand united in a common cause. You can't go to the store anymore and buy anything without being asked if you want to donate money to this cause or to that cause. And we're always getting hit up. And you might say yes to some things. You might say no to others. But here is the primary cause that all of us should be saying yes to. It's the cause of Christ. The labor on his behalf. And we are united on the same team, under the same banner. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. And there's several verses that we could point to throughout the scriptures, but we can look right here. We see how each individual has a part to play as they join together in this common cause. And Peter mentions two names here, two by name, Silvanus and Mark. Silvanus, we know him by the name of Silas. Silas was the scribe, most commentators believe, of First Peter. That Peter gave what he wanted to be written down, and Silas put it down on the paper, put pen to paper, so to speak. And he was a faithful companion throughout the missionary journeys of both Paul and of Peter. And the same thing with Mark mentions him as well. Mark, as you remember, wrote the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel that we recently went through in this church. And Mark, if you remember, it was just a compilation of Peter's teachings, of his stories, of his memories that were written down so that they would be preserved. And so we see these two men, Silas and Mark. And when we would compare them to some of the the, the greater men in the New Testament, perhaps like Peter and Paul, we would say, well, you know, Silas and Mark, they're, they're kind of insignificant. They're somewhat unimportant. They're surely minor players in the New Testament church. Did they teach? Did they preach? Were they upfront type of people? Were they strong leaders? Were they out there organizing and planting New churches and and making new disciples, we're not sure. But we do know this. If these men didn't do their parts, we would not have the epistle of 1 Peter that we have just gone through. We would not have the gospel of Mark. In other words, it was through their dictation, it was through their delivery of these letters that we have the word of God preserved for us. We have the Holy Scriptures. And so, through them, 
we are blessed even to this day. And it's through their labors done unto the Lord that we should see as not being unimportant or insignificant at all. And that's a lesson to all of us, isn't it? That whatever your gifts are in the kingdom of God, they are never insignificant. If you are up front or if you are behind the scenes, if your works are known or if they are unknown, there is no good deed that is done unto the Lord that goes unnoticed, at least unnoticed by God. It may go unnoticed by many, if not most, if not all, but it does not go unnoticed to God. And therefore, it gives God praise. It gives him glory. And in that sense, it is significant. The world craves recognition. And we fall into that trap as well. That we want to be known. We want people to talk about us. We want people even to to imitate us, to, to be like us. But notice here the characteristic that stands out about these men. It's not about their recognition. It's not about their fame. Notice what it says of Silvanus. It says that he was faithful. He was a faithful brother. And about Mark, it says that he was, Mark, my son. Peter saying he's a son in the faith. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. And that's truly what is most important, isn't it? Not that everybody knows us. Not that everybody can recognize our name. No, that we are known by just one is enough. That what we do is recognized by Christ. That we would be a faithful follower of him. And whatever our calling is. In the big and in the small. In the noticed and in the unnoticed. That we would be faithful. May the Lord find us faithful. That we would be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would be faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That you'd be faithful husbands and wives. That you'd be faithful uh, fathers and mothers. Faithful children. Faithful church members. Those are the things that we should, should lift up. Those are the things that we should prioritize and say, yes, that's what I want to be. Lord, make me faithful in all that you would call me to. And may I do it unto your glory and do it unto your honor. That is the common cause it's for the cause of Christ. It's for his glory. It's for his recognition, not for our own. Third, we see a common connection here. Verse 13, Peter says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends your greeting. Who is this woman in Babylon? Well, most believe that this is a reference to the church. The church in Rome, where Peter writes this letter from. Rome, throughout the Bible, is referred to as Babylon, especially in the book of Revelation. And that is not a flattering term. Babylon, if you remember, in the Old Testament was the arch enemy of the people of God. That set themselves up against that which was right and true. That was under the sway of the evil one. And so Peter likens Rome to Babylon. 
like I said, not a good comparison. But Rome was the one who occupied the known world at this time, including the land in which these people that Peter was writing to lived in. And as a result, they were enduring, as we've talked about many times, the the persecution in part from the hands of the Romans. And so Peter is essentially saying, I'm I'm writing to you from from the belly of the beast, from the eye of the storm. And yet, what he says here is that even in the midst of this heathen land is she, that is, the church. That, in other words, God is at work saving his own, even in the most corrupt and heathen of lands and cities. God has his own people. The church is there, in fact. Peter says the church greets you. They send their love. And notice this. It's just a, a, a short little phrase, but it says, she who's in Babylon, who's likewise chosen. Notice that he, he calls the church there chosen. And remember that this church in Rome was made up of most likely Gentiles. Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor that were made up of converted Jews. And you remember way back in chapter 1, I know it's been a long time, but he calls them elect to those that are elect in these churches. And now he calls this church in Rome the chosen. And notice that. He says that they are likewise chosen. Just like you have been chosen, Jews, so too God by his grace has chosen these Gentiles that are here. Because what matters is not that you are Jew or that you are Gentile, but that you are in Christ. And that's what still matters today. That is the common connection that we have. No matter how different we may be. And we are different and we ought to be different. But yet we come together united in that same connection. The world, as you know, is a very divided place. It's divided socially, it's divided politically, it's divided racially. And that may be true of the world, but it must not be true of the church. And it's a sad day. It's a sad commentary upon the church when we talk about black churches or white churches or Hispanic churches. Or when we become more concerned with majorities and minorities Listen, that's how the world speaks. That's how the world categorizes one another. We're to be a church of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Period. Not this church or that church. Because what we have in Christ is so much greater than what we have that is different. Or that which would divide so much greater than our skin color or our political party. And so it does not matter if we are white or if we're black or if we're brown or that we are yellow. The reality is that we have Christ and that Christ has saved us. Because the reality is this, that most likely all of us are Gentiles. All of us have been saved by a man that was different, a different race than all of us. 
And yet, did Christ look upon us with partiality? No. He looked upon all of us and saw one thing. The same thing that was in common. Saw that we were people that had hearts that were desperately wicked and depraved and in need of saving. And so it does not matter what may divide us. We have this same common connection that we are saved in Christ. And so do not let politics, do not let race, do not let culture divide you. Not in the church of Jesus Christ. Our common connection in Christ is so much greater, so much better. And there ought to be a love that comes out of all of that. Notice this. He says there in verse 14, greet another with the kiss of love. I think we can do without the kiss, right? We can be uh, united on that, but we cannot do without the love. We need the love of one another. We need that same common connection. And notice these terms that Peter uses here. They're family terms. He calls Silvanus his brother. He calls Mark his son. And that is what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. That is the connection that needs to be made, that must be made in the church. And so we have a common conviction, a common cause, a common connection, and finally, a common comfort. We recite this often here in this church, the Heidelberg Catechism, and it asks that question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And that is a profound question, isn't it? What is it that allows you to have peace? What is it that allows you to have rest? What is it that's going to allow you to lay your head on the pillow tonight and know that you are right with God and right with one another? Well, the catechism gives us the answer, doesn't it? That is my only comfort, is that I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. Yes, that's where we find comfort. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians when he greets that church. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It's in God that we find our comfort. It is in Christ. Peter says the same as he finishes this last word to the church is peace be to all of you who are in Christ that we have peace and comfort and blessing in God and again it's that which the world longs for people will move heaven and earth if they can to try to have peace and it's found so easily it's found so readily it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ that we must be Filled with God. We must have peace with God. And when we do through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have peace with ourselves. And peace with others. And peace with the world. It's there which we find. Our great comforts. It's there we are. Reconciled to a holy God. Brought into the family of God. Made sons and daughters. Of God Almighty. In this we have peace. 
spiritually, mentally, emotionally. There we have a great comfort. And so as we come to this last section, the final section of 1 Peter, what many would see is just the, the closing credits on the movie or, or a, a postscript, parts that we could probably just kind of close up the book and not look at. We see that there are some very important truths here in a book that is full of important truths, truths that we take for granted, truths that make the church, the church, the things that we have in common, and the thing that we have in common is Christ. We have a conviction for Christ. That We have a cause towards Christ, a connection with him, and a comfort in him. And so as we close this morning, let me ask, are, are these the things that you have in common? Are these things true of you? Are you finding that Christ is the truth? And that that is the foundation for your feet, the foundation upon which you are building your life. And that gives you the reason to labor, to, to give your life in service to him. And then are you being connected with the body of Christ, being united together in that same common connection, and then the greatest of all, finding the comfort and peace that you can only have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, are we as a church taking advantage of these beautiful and precious promises? Are we delighting in them? Because it's here that we come. It's here that we encounter Christ That is the theme of this book, greater than all of the individual themes. That we would come to Christ, that we'd worship and adore him, that we'd be changed and transformed, that we'd be loved and be loved, that we would be made whole in him. I pray that all of these things have happened and are happening and will happen in greater and greater measure, even as we labor and serve amongst one another. For this is truly that which we have in common. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Lord, we again see your truths and are assured by them. How they comfort us, how they convict us, how they find us, And have us to know our place as well as to prod us on in the work and calling that you have placed upon us. Lord, we thank you for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That which you have done and that which you are doing and that which you even will do in greater measure. Lord, may we be united in this. May you give us the spirit so that we would delight in these things again and again, week to week until you would come back again, until you would unite us with the greater church, the glorified church. Lord, may we be a faithful church unto you. We pray this in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.